Welcome to More Than a Refresh, a podcast about data and the people who wrangle it. Today we are recording from Astoria, Queens, Justin, Texas, and Lake Mead, Nevada. Our guest is David Stokes, and our topic all over the map, but really open source databases community and maybe a little bit of uh, destruction of the AIML myth. So Dave, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Okay. Um, many, many years ago, I found out that I had a little bit of a talent for computers. And the I was lucky that the community college I was attending in the county of San Diego out in California um, let us play with these wonderful machines. And uh, then when I decided to get a four-year degree, I found that one of the local universities also has some machine. And I got a job there working at night uh, doing backups and printing out reports. And this was on a piece of equipment um, manufactured by a company called Digital Equipment Corporation. And back then, long before uh, uh, Linus Torvalds probably was even coding, uh, you bought your hardware, you bought your software, you bought your support, you bought everything from one vendor. And for me, that was Digital Equipment Corporation. And unfortunately for me, the top 10 operating system didn't get too far. I switched over to the academic computing side where I went through the demotion of Ristus E and Vax VMS and a couple other operating systems before we started playing with Unix. And that was good, but Unix had some issues to itself. And then we hear about this crazy story about this guy from Finland giving away an operating system. Uh, it wasn't like the Minix operating system where you had to type everything in or buy the five and a quarter inch floppies and upload it onto your IBM PC. He was actually giving away the code. And, uh, that was my big introduction to open source software and the ability to be able to write something on one machine and hand it off to someone else who could run it on their machine was absolutely amazing. That was breathtaking. Uh, it's still stunning to me that it, it's so good there. So a lot of things that people now take for granted, um, I, I saw come into fruition and a lot of things that I see now with licensing and, and uh, political moves on uh, by some projects are kind of frightening to me. They don't realize what they're going to give up. And uh, let's see, from there, um, many, many years ago, I was uh, working for the fourth largest retailer in the country and decided to take the MySQL DBA certification test. Uh, back then, it was two exams, and I failed the second exam by one question. And a lot of the questions I thought were poorly worded, and I got on the MySQL website to try to figure out who I could complain to about that. So they were looking for a PHP programmer, and I wrote an email that was half, hey, your exams really need help. And another half, hey, here's my experience in PHP. And lo and behold, MySQL AB hired me. And uh, my boss came over from Denmark to train me. And then a month later, left the company. So I very quickly went from PHP programmer to uh, managing the certification process. That was right before Sun Microsystems bought MySQL AB. And uh, matter of fact, a year and a... A year and four months later, I was at our user conference in Santa Clara, California, when I turned on the TV, and Channel 2's news out of the Bay Area said, big news, Oracle has bought Sun Microsystems. So um, from out of the frying pan into the fire into the magma, and uh, uh, that was uh, a big part of my career. I was on the community team for over 11 years. Uh, I did leave briefly for a columnar storage engine company that's now part of MariaDB, but we'll go into that. Um, I had some ex had exposures to other databases before that, including Postgres. Um, but 
it was an amazing time at MySQL AB because, you know, here's this little database. Sure, it didn't do a lot of things great, but it did enough things right that people were happy with it. And um, probably the best thing that ever happened to MySQL's code was after the acquisition by Oracle. Oracle engineers came in and said, your code's great, but you really need to improve your process. You need to do more testing. Uh, you need to do more rigor and you know make it a better product and that got in, uh, ingrained there and um, that was my life until a year ago february when i joined percona so let's uh back up a little bit first and it, there's a couple of points here that you brought up that i think are really interesting first let's talk about oracle buying sun did you join mysql before mm -hmm. sun bought mysql yes uh 2007 um i was hired uh, like I said, for, as a PHP programmer, and uh, it was less than a year later that we got bought by by Sun, and then 16 months later we got bought by Oracle. Yeah, I have I've got a so, story about that process. So when Sun Microsystems uh, bought my MySQL, um, right around that they also right around that time announced first tier support for Postgres. Obviously, you can't buy Postgres, but they did, you know, offer first-tier support. And my day job, Command Prompt, uh, was one of their first Postgres partners. Um, you have a guest behind you. Yes, it's it's one of my my dogs who's trying to okay. remind me that it's time to feed her in two hours and forty-five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, the yes. uh, and anyway, so be back, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's absolutely fine. Um, MySQL World, I think is what it was called, happened, and it was in, I want to say L.A., but I don't remember exactly. But I, I was invited to come speak on what MySQL could learn from Postgres. And I gave this talk, uh, and it was very well received, except by some microsystems. So as soon as I gave the talk, terminated without notification of any kind, except for a, a blanket white email that said, you are no longer a partner. Now, the moral of this story is I didn't say anything bad about some microsystems at all. All I did was offer constructive feedback about MySQL, what it could learn from Postgres, and how Sun could uh, monetize part of MySQL uh, to make their investment worth it. I was very positive. Um, but because I criticize Sun, and Sun is from the era where you never criticize your vendor, right? Even if it's constructively, uh, they terminated our partnership. Now, the moral of this story for all who are listening is one of these companies is still in existence and still profitable. One of them is not. And uh, that's why you need to be able to listen and hear and learn from your peers and your competitors because it will make you better. Sun refused to listen, learn, and hear, and they no longer exist, and neither does most of their legacy. It is very few people that are running Solaris, very few people that are running Spark, and a lot of them that are running Spark aren't even running Oracle Spark, they're running something like Fujitsu Spark. Um, another thing was, what are the, go ahead. What are the crazy one of the crazy things that they did, uh, and I have an MBA, so I, I, I've read a lot of case studies on bad business practices. 
worked for a lot of bad businesses. Uh, about two months after the acquisition by Sun, they had a big thing in Las Vegas where they'd bring in one quarter of all their employees and give them a week of training, which I thought was an amazing thing. And um, all these people show up and they're energized and they know this is their year to learn and everything's going to go really wonderful. And the opening ceremony, some senior VP came out and said, uh, things aren't going well financially for the company. So what we're going to do is we're going to have layoffs. So um, by the end of this week, about 40% of you will no longer have a job. But enjoy your training. <laughs> Go off and learn. Know the room, yeah. man. Good Lord. Yeah. So you go into a room of eight people and try to teach them MySQL, and half of them are wondering, you know, how am I going to make my car payment? How am I going to pay my mortgage? And try to inspire them. Didn't quite work. Uh, thankfully, we were able to bring in Martin Mikos to give a little bit, a couple words of encouragement a couple days later. But before then, it was like being at the worst, worst funeral ever. Yeah, that that would definitely be terrible. And now I want to back up one more step. Uh, and this might end up being a long part of the conversation. So before I do that, let's talk about deck. So okay. I had a digital equipment corporation, Alpha, that I ran Linux on. Loved that platform. Missed that platform. I don't miss the days where you had Compact Deck, HP, SGI, ND, all these different platforms. Not because it wasn't interesting at the time. It was. but at that time, I had a lot more free time, as I'm sure you understand, and I I need to get work done now. I don't need to be screwing around with 17 different Linux distributions on 14 different platforms. Um, but I just wanted to give a nod to that. I, I really enjoyed the Deck Alpha platform. Uh, but let's get back to something you said. You said what some people – so your opening to uh, open source slash Linux was not that different than mine. Um, I was running Linux well before it was 1.0. Um, I was working at a bookstore called Powell's Technical Books. Powell still exists. The technical bookstore doesn't uh, at the time. And uh, my distribution of choice, while everyone else was trying to get me to run BSD, because BSD was Unix, right? It's a Unix. Yes. It's not. It's not a fake. It's not a clone. Uh, and no disrespect to the FreeBSD folks. I, I mean, it's a great platform, but uh, I instead chose to run SLS. Do you remember SLS? Ooh. Yeah. Yes. I won't say finally, but I do so, remember it. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who don't have replacement knees and still have a good back, uh, SLS was one of the first actual distributions stands for soft landing system, I believe. And it used to come to you. You could download it. But, you know, back then you're talking, if you had 9,600 baud, you were a king, right? So they would ship you CDs or floppies uh, off of a magazine. And I started with SLS, went to MCC, I think it was called, and then back to SLS. And I stayed on SLS until Slackware became a thing. And I've jumped around all of them, right? I Slackware and Red Hat and Seuss and, and Caldera before Scobottom. Right, all these different platforms, uh, and then I, as I got older and actually had to pay attention and focus and be productive, uh, you know, be an adult, uh, I kind of settled into Red Hat until they split off and created Red Hat Enterprise, and then you had your Red Hat Legacy, I think is what they called, and it was 7.3, and then that got split off into Fedora, 
And that's when I just settled into basically Ubuntu. I had a bunch of others that I played around with, but I've been in Ubuntu for at least, oh shoot, I think since maybe 08, I think. I've been on Ubuntu, and that's not to take away from any other distribution. If the distribution works for you, great. Um, but I don't tinker anymore. I have work to get done. So I just have Ubuntu running, or Android, which is what we're recording this on, which is also a Linux. So what's your uh, take, Dave, on beyond the history there? You said that it really scares you or terrifies you what a lot of these quote-unquote open-source companies are now trying to do to licensing. Why, why is this such a problem in your eyes? Well, the the first one that kind of caught me was when MariaDB changed the license on their MaxDB product. And I knew several folks who were running their software that suddenly had no upgrade path because they didn't want to go out there and pay for the software. Uh, they, in one case, it was a nonprofit that didn't have the money. And it's, it's like, okay, um, it's like you have a bus. And suddenly I tell you, hey, your bus is fine but we're changing the rules for front wheels and your front wheels can no longer turn more than five degrees at a time. You, you, suddenly your bus has less utility. Uh, it's, it's not as much fun and it's more of a pain in the butt to maneuver with. And um, it's one of those things where you start taking away from the idea of the core of open source and saying, I'm not getting enough money from this. I really need to get money out of it. So I'm going to restrict the way you use it. Um, you know, in that case, these 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 folks had to re-architect around that that cog in their machinery, which is not easy, cheap, or fun. Uh, when I see other folks uh, changing the rules, like Mongo, um, it's like, yeah, I can see how you're getting frustrated, especially in this this world where Amazon seems to be able to do what they want at will, but. You're you're basically ruining the life and career plans of a lot of folks, and you're making an impact that you're not seeing. And the rule of unintended consequences is that uh, you're not going to make more money with your product in the long run. You're going to end up being out of business in the long run. And I don't think they, they kind of get that. And you see how Mongo's trends are heading down on the DB engine rankings. Um, as someone who owns stock of MariaDB, and, and my share price is... Uh, a fraction of what I originally bought it for. Um, it, it's 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 not the wise thing to do. Now I, I find that interesting. So generally speaking, I agree with you. I, I I I don't have a problem with closed source software. If I did, I wouldn't be running an Android phone. Uh, although good portions of it is open source, but still. Um, but I do think that there's a certain aspect from a cultural perspective that if you start open source, you stay open source and you need to figure out how to work within the open source paradigm. That being said, um, when you look at a Mongo or a MySQL, I have to be honest, I, I do, for especially Mongo, right? Mongo is a $1.28 billion company by revenue. All right. They're public. And yes, their rankings are going down. But I think that those rankings ignore a lot of things. Um, one of the things that is being ignored is the, the testimonial rise of Postgres. Um, Postgres has always grown every year because every year the product imp the project improves. Uh, and it is a good database. It has flaws, just like everything. Uh, but it is a good database. And I would argue 
that in terms of a general utility or extendable database, it's your only option. The only reason to choose something else is because you don't know or don't like the relational model. That being said, there is no $1.28 billion Postgres company, except Amazon, who sure. doesn't open source their Postgres stuff, right? Not all of it. They do open source a lot of it. And they do, let me be very clear for those that are listening. If you, if you think, oh, Amazon's taken over the world, blah, 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 they don't contribute back, blah, blah, blah. Amazon is one of the top contributors, one of the top four contributors to the PostgreSQL.org project. The only one greater, I won't even mention. So it's there's something really to be understood that while open source is deeply important, uh, and I agree that most should be open source, I mean, I don't think MongoDB is necessarily hurting. And, and I'll give you the correlated technology argument. Could MongoDB have stayed 100% open source? Yes, Red Hat did it, right? Red Hat now basically owns IBM or vice versa, depending on who you talk to, right? But maybe that wasn't their goal, right? The moment you're a public corporation, your goal isn't a billion users. Your goal is a billion dollars in profit for your shareholders. And if they're still carrying the profit margins for their shareholders, then they're being successful, right? Now, MySQLDB, that's that's a whole nother, I mean, between MariaDB and Procona MySQL, and I mean, it's... Well, the, the, well on, a, on, a, on a slightly tangential course at uh, Postgres New York City, and then shortly afterwards at the local uh, DFW Postgres user group thing, um, there were two mentions about database trends. One was Andy Pavlo in New York talking about how every so often the database world reinvents itself. Um, you know, the idea of using JSON documents as storage mm -hmm. and suddenly sure. Mongo arises and, you know, oh my God, relational databases are going to be dead because everyone's going to use document databases. They're so much easier for developers. And then the, the reality of the relational model comes back to reassert itself. You know, people do need transactions. They need to be able to group stuff. They need to be able to sort stuff easily. And Andy Pavlo was talking about, well, the next thing you're going to hear is vector databases for all this AI stuff, but we already have the vector calls. Mm -hmm. um, and Bruce Momjen was talking along the same lines. You know, the, the funny thing is uh, Postgres, uh, amazingly, is just able to, oh, there's a new feature. Absorb it in. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's the way things are going. Um, whether um, the, the closed source uh, companies of the world, uh, you know, like Mongo, um, will be able to weather the long term. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, long term profitability for Mongo. I wish them all the best of luck. Uh, somewhere I remember reading that the Studebaker company that used to make cars before that made Conestoga wagons is still in some function, still in business. So maybe mm -hmm. they'll find a, a great niche and keep going. Uh, but the database world is is kind of defined by the resiliency of this stupid relational model. Well, and I think that makes sense because there's a couple things about the relational model that make it great. Uh, data by default has a relation. Somehow, some way, there is a relation. 
it is a model that has been tried and true and tested and worked on for literally decades. And similarly, if we use another technology uh, that's come around in, say, the last 140 years, 130 years, it's the internal combustion engine. You know, they started out highly inefficient. And even now, I mean, the difference between, let's say, a 1969 427 in a VET versus the current VET, which is a mid-engine, um, not only is the current VET going to blow the doors off of it in speed, but it's also going to blow, it's going to have twice the miles per gallon. And it's going to be high, much more efficient yeah, in terms of emissions. Cool. Yeah. Um, it's going to be much more efficient in terms of emissions because they continue to improve on an already known working model. And that's what Postgres does. Right. We have our known working model. Yeah. So we're just, we don't revolutionize anything. We make current trends supportable. Um, okay. So let's talk about, uh, we know how you got your start, but you know, there's something in here before we start talking more about Postgres that I just, I'm looking for right here. And of course now I can't find it. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about the submarine. Ah, yes, here it is. You talked to our producer. Uh, you once worked on a project to track yeah. Russian submarines that eventually turned into source code for yes. tracking whales for Greenpeace. So let's talk about that because that's interesting. Yes. Um, um, I grew up in San Diego, and at the time I was growing up, um, you probably couldn't throw a stone without bouncing off the head. So three or four folks who'd either been in, the, in one of the services during one of the wars in the mid mm -hmm. to late part of the last century. And being a male child of that era, um, everything was just fascinating to me. Airplanes. I wanted to be a, a fighter pilot. Uh, my dad was in the Merchant Marine and had been torpedoed, and all these um, ship stories were great. I had uncles that were in all the service arms. I had friends whose dad's service were from the very service. And uh, at one of the uh, places I was employed by, the um, company that's no longer in business, they were using neural networks to sample audio recordings from socialist devices and process that to determine what was making that noise. Now, Socius think of it as a big underwater ear um, planted in the world's oceans all over the places or buoys that are dropped by helicopters or airplanes into the ocean, and they listen. And there are certain mechanical noises, um, pumps, um, chain lockers, rattling, um, computer hum, all these other things that you could listen to. And if you identify the frequency and the tones and the overtones, you can say, Aha, I think that's a steam turbine on a nuclear sub. And by uh, a lot of a lot of math, uh, you can say, okay, uh, we know that this was a ship that left uh, Vladivostok on this date or a submarine left on this date. And we knew it was heading in this direction. So we're able to identify it fairly precisely where it is at any one time. Uh, it used to be that the Soviet submarines were extremely noisy until a spy named Robert Hansen just handed over all that information to the Soviets and said, you know, they basically can tell where you are from, from you know, thousands of miles away uh, just because things are so noisy. Um, 
But it, it, submarine, anti-submarine warfare is a rather fascinating uh, process because these things, especially the big missile subs, are designed to be undetectable. Um, now, part of the problem there is that anything made by humans is going to have some sort of thing that, um, you know, it's going to have human uh, foibles built into it. Uh, one of the problems with a submarine is that usually once a day, they have to come up shallow and purge the restroom system, shall we say. Um, so suddenly you have all this biomaterial that has to be released. That's usually a lot different in salinity, temperature, and uh, density than the surrounding ocean water. So combining that with the sounds of the hull popping as it comes up or as it goes back down, um, they, these things are, are trackable. And it was kind of a fascinating period of my life because I was, you know, this is hunt for Red October time. Uh, imagine your local insurance sales guy writes a book that has a bunch of information that appears to be classified that even the Navy thinks is classified but isn't. And he writes this wonderful thriller about a guy that decides to steal a Russian submarine and take it to the West. Uh, it was made into a fairly good movie, although Sean Connery's Scottish accent as a Russian, Russian captain is kind of hard to believe. But it's... Uh, he had the period. right physicality. I'll give him that. Um, but yeah, yeah. what's in, the interesting part here is, you know, the AIML portion. What I think a lot of people don't understand is that generally speaking, the hype that we have today is just because of how fast our computers have become. It's not that we haven't done very similar or identically similar things for 70 years it's just now it's fast enough on your phone right yeah um, and, and cheap enough where um, we used to have engineers who'd sit around and wait for a processor card to come available so they'd be able to run their runs uh, now you want a processor card you just put it on your aws or your azure account and watch the bill climb yeah very quickly uh but i mean it's it's actually funny that you bring that up. I don't know if you follow DHH, um, but he's recently been doing a lot of writing about moving 37 signals slash hay uh, to owned hardware. And they're saving like millions of dollars now because they're, they've moved out of the cloud and gone to cell phone metal. Um, well, many years okay. ago, when I did yeah. hard disk drive, I had to put in a purchase request, had to get three bids, had to have accounting go through, go through the yearly budgeting process, get the capital allocated, and several months later on a pallet showed up and showed up a disk drive that probably had like 200 gigs of space on it, which was astronomical at the time. Uh, these days you need more disk space. You just click a box on your, on your Aurora platform and away you go. Uh, it's crazy, and so many companies have gotten away from the capital budgeting process because it comes out of the operating budget, and they're very happy about it. And by the way, a lot of these businesses are going, this is fantastic. We don't have a computer room that we have to you know, keep cold. We don't need these, these funny-looking computer nerds walking around, you know, being in the cafeteria and, and having their funny stuff that they eat and you know, all this other stuff that goes along with having computers is, is now up on the cloud. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about these guys who show up at four o'clock in the morning taking all the good parking spaces by the front door because we don't have them anymore. All the computer nerds are, are gone. Well, and, but I think it's gonna, there's going to be a balance because the reality is is that 
um, that's all fine and good during essential startup feasting time. But now budgets are starting to matter again. And I think I think I think the future really is about a hybrid scenario. And I'll give you using command prompt as an example. We don't have any hardware. We are all in the cloud. But we do manage a lot of our own stuff. Right. Now obviously Google and okay, fine, Microsoft and Exchange, but Google have have won the email battle, for example, right? Uh and frankly if anyone has done this, I'm sure Dave, you have. Administering email sucks. It's terrible. Uh, so having Google do it for me, I'm willing to pay for that. Um, but I think there's other places where we're going to see transitions. I mean, when you think about how much you pay for an EC2 instance with five terabytes of space versus how much you'd pay if you just bought the machine with five terabytes of space. Right. Yeah. There's an enormous amount of savings there. And the funny thing is you still see, need someone to manage it. The only difference is you either have a capital expense or you don't. Yeah. Right. You still need someone to manage it, even if you don't see them, because all the geeks work remote now. Yeah. The, the other thing is a lot of people don't notice is um, so many companies are inflicted with thrown over the wall projects. Um, mm -hmm. marketing needs something, but the IT department doesn't have the, the time or the budget to do it. So they hire uh, an intern or someone else that to do a project. The intern gets ready to go away and they throw it over the wall to the IT department and saying, hey, we know you know absolutely nothing about this. Uh, it's used a database that you don't know on an operating system you're unfamiliar with on hardware that we kind of got from a flea market. But it's vital to our corporate interests and our SVP is talking to your SVP and this is something you're going to have to have to manage. Uh, by the way, we have no idea what the the data retention is on this. We have no idea if the software is legal. But hey, you guys get to manage it for us. Thank you. Well, and I know what I like. You'll appreciate this working for Procona, right? Because Procona and Command Prompt are in similar spaces. A lot of times, what happens is then they shove it off to us, right? And like we don't know, but we need you to manage it. And they're willing to spend such a ridiculous hourly rate because they do not want to have to deal with managing teams. They want someone else to manage the teams. So that's where Bacona comes in or Command Prompt come in and we go in and we get to play the White Knights, which is great for us. Don't get me wrong, but it's definitely more expensive than it needs to be. So let's talk about Postgres a little bit. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Postgres, yes. <laughs> Yeah, you've heard um, of it. Well, that's going to answer the well, Yeah. Well, as yeah. we talk about Postgres, um, there is one thing uh, I want to ask you about MySQL. Um, I generally don't uh, talk about MySQL much just because, frankly, the only time I run into it is to migrate someone off of it. Uh, that's just my world. I'm not being negative toward MySQL. It's just that's my world. Um. But you say it's dead easy to set up. That's your favorite thing, which I agree. I mean, install yeah. Go, right? Postgres is not install Go yeah. unless you're using something like RDS. But yeah. it does not keep pace with features such as merge. Talk to me about that because it used to be that MySQL was leading the usability for developers world. And now it seems like that's changed. 
Yeah, the uh, the old the old thing was that Postgres was a stodgy database that was kind of arcane, and you had to have a pentagram in your computer room floor to get it to come up. And the folks who knew it very well, you know, you had to make sure that if you had a pet goat, you didn't let them anywhere near that because the goat might be <laughs> sacrificed just just to keep it running. Uh, but you know, the SQL support was a little bit better, but it was a little funkier, and it was a much rarer crew. Uh, matter of fact, when I was running certification for MySQL AB and for some microsystems, I'd have hiring managers coming to me and saying, it's hard, very hard to find a qualified MySQL DBA. It's impossible to find a qualified Postgres DBA. Now, MySQL was always the database that was kind of good enough. You know, it did kind mm-hmm. of basically what you wanted. You, know, you you can't afford a Bugatti Viron because your budget is much smaller um, Bugatti Virons are not really good for going to Home Depot and buying some two by fours. So, you know, a Toyota pickup truck or a Corolla with the windows rolled down with a two by four at an angle, you, you can do it. You, you probably don't want to do it every day. You're not going to be a, a carpenter doing that, but it it got you down the road. And uh, Postgres, um, you know, ooh, they actually support the standard, you know, a fractionally a bit better, you know, which for some people was rather important. But if, if MySQL did what you needed, it was good enough. And um, sadly, what happened several years ago is that there was a project that's now known as Heatwave, where they came to the big Oracle database folks and say, we have this accelerator that's going to be the, the great thing for all sorts of analytics, and we want to put it in your code. And the big Oracle database folks said, well, come back to us in two years. And the MySQL folks were there, and he said, hey, we have this great thing. Uh, we'd like to put in your code and said, sure, yeah, here, add it in. So MySQL went from being the flea on the tail of the dog at Oracle to being the the flea on the tail of the dog that's wagging the entire uh, Oracle dog. Um, suddenly the thing that Larry Ellison really didn't really want to talk about was suddenly what he was opening up his calls with for the investors. And Heatwave is great for analytics, but unfortunately, I think a lot of the development effort for MySQL over the past handful of years has gone to the benefit of Heatwave and the detriment of the general product. Uh, If you go out there and look at the release notes that came out last week, um, there's really not a lot of new features coming out. Uh, We're deprecating the old uh, MySQL native password. Well, that's something that should have been done a long time ago. But where's the new features? Where's the new functions? Oh, we're we're doing something different with MySQL router, so we'll be able to intercept reads and writes and send them off to the proper machine in the, in the cluster. Yeah, but where's the improvements in the windowing functions? Where's the merge function? Uh, there's just a lot of stuff that they could be doing to improve the basic database for everybody uh, that uses the 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 standard database, uh, the non-enterprise version that they're not doing, and it's um, a shame. That's one of the reasons why I started looking outside uh, two years ago going, you know, there's, there's got to be a better way of doing this. Um, when I talk to customers, um, <laughs> Peter Zeitzel, one of the founders of, of Percona, says Oracle doesn't have customers, they have hostages. Uh, when I talk to folks who run big MySQL installations and they're coming to me saying, Dave, should I run Postgres or run MySQL? And one of the hard questions is, where do you think Oracle is taking MySQL, and I don't really see them taking it as a standard general purpose database anymore. I think what what you have now 
is going to be it. I don't think there's going to be any new major features anytime soon. I don't think you're wrong. You uh, I think that's kind of Oracle's point, right? At the time that Oracle bought Sun and got MySQL, Postgres was nowhere near where it is today. And I think that what Oracle has kind of, whether intentionally or not, has steered MySQL for a very specific problem to solve so that it doesn't eat the lunch of Oracle, right? And that being said, even Oracle now is has a managed Postgres service, right? Yes. Oracle has realized that although they are still the big dog in the room, and frankly, they're going to be the big dog in the room for the next 20 years. It, they, they're just, they've been around long enough. They have enough number of installations where they can be successful with, you know, basically long-term customers for many, many, many moons. Long to the point where you and I are hopefully retired. <laughs> um, but as you come on board new, when you're evaluating products, all you hear now is Postgres, 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 Postgres. Everything is somehow Postgres. Alloy DB, Azure, Aurora. RDS, Neon, I, all of them in some way. I, I had some people email me just the other day about a couple I had never even heard of. And they're all, I mean, even DigitalOcean has a little Postgres managed product. Yeah. Well, one of the, the crazy things is that when you, uh, when you look at people who are starting new projects uh, like FerretDB, for folks who haven't heard mm -hmm. of FerretDB, it's Mongo protocol on top of Postgres. And uh, it's, it's one of those things where years and years ago, when MySQL 8.0 was coming out, there were folks saying to the engineering staff, you know, rather than come up with our own document database protocol language, why don't we just speak what Mongo has? Um, you know, we're, you know, I'm sure the lawyers can indemnify us and we'll keep things as, as clean and as open as possible because we're just basically uh, using the protocol, but they were told no. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a not invented here type situation or they didn't want to get into any sort of potential courtroom tussles with the Mongo folks. But when you see how nicely Ferret is moving along, um, true, it's not 100% replacement for a big installation on, on, on Mongo Atlas, but give it a couple of years. And I don't see anyone starting new projects like that on top of MySQL. No, that's a good point. I think that, uh, you know, I, I know the guys from Ferret. They're great guys. Um, I do think they're going to have some challenges. Uh, one, there is already, you know, a comparative with uh, Document DB from Amazon. Now, obviously, you can't download Document DB, but Document DB is Mongo on top of Postgres. That's what it is. Um, and, but for those who are trying to stay true to open source roots, um, I think there's definitely an opportunity to have um, growth, right? Maybe not, you know, billions of users growth, but still growth and have a nice, healthy ecosystem around your your environment. I think that that's quite useful. Yeah. And plus, um, it's such a great story. Peter Parkins and Peter walking through the Himalayas, going, you know, we we need to have something to support the folks who need Mongo, but don't need the Mongo database underneath. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 
No, they're great folks. We actually have talked to them about adding specific support to PG Manage uh, for their stuff. Um, so, where do you think where do you think Postgres is going? Where do you think in, in the next three years? Where are we going to be? Uh, if I could wave the magic wand and get rid of the the bloating and wraparound type issues, uh, knock on wood. Um, I can see Postgres being the the cloud database uh, becomes part of a um, basically an API layer. Everything you need to do has this this SQL based API that just happens to run on Postgres because everything that you want to do ends up there. And uh, for the cloud providers, it's a rock solid database. And um, you know, look at a lot of the other databases out there. You know, do we really need them if we have one that is the standard? Well, and that's true. And I and I think that at least at a syntax slash protocol slash uh, API level, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think a lot of the people that are running Postgres now aren't running Postgres. They're running a variant. The closest that I would say, would you know, RDS is very Postgres. GCP is very Postgres, as is, um, I forget what Microsoft says their version is. But the ones where that are interesting that are are uh, they're marketing that they're pushing, you know, that's your alloy DB. That's a Postgres layer, right? Azure, or, or not Azure, um, Aurora is a Postgres layer. The storage underneath is completely different. Um, yeah. And I and I think that there's good opportunity there. I'm just hoping that what I'd really like to see is the big three, big four, get together and be like, all right. How do we have something that we're only competing underneath, right? I shouldn't have to write for Postgres slash Alloy, and then if I decide Postgres slash Alloy isn't good enough for me, I have to rewrite for Aurora, right? And there's certain semantics yeah. that are different between them that would make that happen. Um, I, I think that would really benefit everybody, including, you know, on-prem folks, people who are just running Postgres or, you know, they're running ECT with Postgres on it. Yeah. And for anyone listening to this, if you have that billion dollars you want to send to JD and Dave, care of PO Box 15, <laughs> we'll start our own POSIX consortium to do just that. That is exactly right. We just need... <laughs> no, and that's true. So we'll have our first we can get... Want to indulge. That is absolutely right. No, I would I would love to see a, an actual consolidation and understanding that, you know, a long time ago, I think this was 08, I think it was 08, I stood up in front of a bunch of Postgres people and I said, the days of Cowboy open source are over. So that would be 15 years ago. Um, and a lot of open source people didn't believe it. A lot of Postgres people didn't believe it. And now I think that a lot of projects are starting to pay for that because they have become uh, protectionist, in a lot of ways isolationist, and they make it difficult to contribute to, especially if you're a corporation. And what a lot of people don't understand in this world is that a corporation will participate as a happy 
joyful, collaborative member as long as the return on investment is positive. The moment it becomes negative, they will take their ball and go home. And there's nothing wrong with that because they got families to feed. Many years ago at the Linux Foundation member summit that they had in Lake Tahoe, one of the things I did was talking about the Oracle Contributor Agreement and how it affected MySQL. Now, what was interesting to me that I didn't know at the time is that two-thirds of the people in the room with me were lawyers for these big corporations <laughs> who were very interested in what I was saying. And I actually read through these, I think it was five paragraphs. They're all very simple saying, hey, what you're giving us is really your product. You're not pulling it from somebody else. And if it is someone else's product uh, or, or code, you're, you're indemnifying us. Um, we will, you know, we will hold your code. Uh, this is irrevocable. So if, you know, six months down the road, you get to, uh, miffed at Larry Ellison, decide you're going to pull your code because you don't think he's doing the right thing or you just don't like the way his boat raced in the boat races. Uh, you can't yank it back. So I gave my presentation and started the Q&A, and I never thought I could actually start a fist fight between lawyers, but I came very, very close. And these folks were up in the air over the various, um, the, the various terms, which they thought were well worked out. But, you know, for, for their little niche, they needed an extra identification here or they needed a twist there. Um, and a lot of these businesses, you know, they were there in the Linux thing. Um, now they're making a profit, but you know, ten years ago when they weren't really making a profit, but the promise was there, um, they were they were I won't say they were overly cautious, but they were justifiably cautious in that, you know, this is going to have a payoff, but we want to make sure that we don't overcommit before the payoff's viable. Mm -hmm. No, I I think that makes perfect sense. Um, back on Postgres a bit. You brought up the bloating and the XID wrap issues. This is interesting to me because it, we, of course, have run into it. Um, but it's rare, right? If you're actually managing the system, especially in newer versions, it's not something yeah. that you're going to run into unless you're doing something really dumb. I mean, there are exceptions, of course. Yeah. But what are your thoughts? Well, one of the problems we've had is that 15 years ago, a company would have one, two, three, maybe five databases. Uh, now they might have 5,000 or more databases. And it's hard to manage each instance to make sure that it's not doing something stupid. Um, how many times you've heard if something goes wrong in a CICD uh, procedure, uh, bad code gets put out there, and suddenly instead of writing you know, 5K an hour out to the database, it's writing 5K a second and you run yourself out of all the resources on the system. Um, it's true, it's harder to do it, but um, we still have airbags in cars and people still kill themselves by running into things. So <laughs> it's, 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 it's not as easy to shoot yourself in the foot, but when you do, it's probably a lot more devastating, a lot more expensive. So it's interesting that you put it that way, because as a former major contributor, uh, Thank God you crashed uh, crash test dummy. Well, for me, it's like, okay, so what you just described is a bunch of people aren't managing their systems. And since they're not managing their systems, it's somehow the system's fault that they're not being managed. 
Yeah. Right. And I know that's the human condition, right? Because we never want to focus on the whole picture. We want to focus on the shortest path to whatever our goal is. But I'll tell you, every time you focus on the shortest path to whatever our goal, your goal is, you miss out on all the great opportunity that happens in between. And it, it, you can see it. I mean, do you remember the company Nautilus? Yeah. Okay. So for our members who don't know all of Linux history or have lived it the way that Dave and I have, Nautilus, if you use Linux, you use Nautilus. It's the file manager. But many, many, many moons ago, probably about 20 years now, 21 years or so now, uh, a little company got together and raised $15 million to create an online mm -hmm. app store for Linux using Nautilus. Now, this company blew through that $15 million in, I think it was less than a year. I mean, it was in no time flat. Um, and yeah. they're gone. And, and their legacy is that, yes, we still have Nautilus, and it's been continued to maintain, and it's, it's a great file manager and things like that. But the problem is that we have a lot of really smart people who get hyper-focused on a single goal, not recognizing that you're supposed to jump over the hurdles, not plow through them. And you miss opportunities. Yeah. And you see it all the time. Yeah. You know, uh, a good example is Elasticsearch, right? They got open arms because of what Amazon was doing. Even though what Amazon was doing was not only perfectly acceptable legally, it, it, there's no moral problem with it. That was the, It's the point of open source, right? Well, now open search is a very well-maintained, uh, very well-contributed to Elasticsearch fork, and Elasticsearch is now struggling in certain ways because of it, because they didn't have a grander vision. Instead, they got isolationist and protectionism involved instead of collaboration and harvesting. Uh, one of the things I was talking about at a, at, a, at, a, at the uh, Vancouver Linux International uh, event was that we have so many projects out there that um, are basically, you know, I won't say a mom and pop brick and mortar type thing, but you've seen the XKCD picture of the Jenga-like thing with one little spindly thing that's holding up the entire system. Um, my fear is that we have all these things like much of the DNS system that are maintained by one or two people who now like us are getting gray hair and paunchy mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the, you know, are probably one of these days going to say, you know, it's not worth chewing through the restraints to get out of bed in the morning and just decide to, you know, I'll hand this off to somebody else. Um, there's a wonderful piece of code in the MySQL area where the, the gentleman who started it, is now looking for someone to take over it. I don't know, A, if there's anyone who has the skills, or B, uh, if it's the type of project uh, for a young person to be interested. Uh, if you are a young database head and you want to get involved or want to be vital, there's this thing called DB Deployer that needs a new a new uh, captain to, help, to steer it. But how many projects do we have out there in the open source world right now where we all depend on it and uh you know year two three from year from now uh, it's not a sexy project but it's vital and suddenly there's no one taking care of it 
It's like that Node.js library problem a couple of years ago where so many people <laughs> got strung <laughs> up over that. I, I think that problem actually will solve itself um, for the most part. Any of the major infrastructure projects out there, Postgres included, um, I mean, if you look at the you know current contributors, including the current you know tangibly connected contributors, would be like someone like myself in the in the conference and things like that. Just like you just said, we're all getting old. We're all in our fifties or higher, or very close to it. Um, yeah. And what's going? I believe will happen, and we're already seeing this. This is why it's corporations that are the major contributors, right? is that the people that rely on Postgres for deployment or whatever are going to be the ones that take the helm. In five years, the people that are going to be the primary contributors to Postgres are going to be Amazon and Microsoft. They'll be the top two. Uh, EDB, if they're still around, will still be, they obviously employ a lot of the committers, so they will be probably in the top six. Um, but we are definitely going to see a consolidation where we'll have younger people come up. But the lift to contributing to something like Postgres is not small, right? I mean, there was once yeah. upon a time that even I had a patch in there that wasn't documentation. It was code. It was to PSQL. I wouldn't even bother trying now. It's not worth my energy. I have other things that are more productive for me to do. Um and that's got to be addressed when you look at Robert Haas and you look at Bruce Momjin, you look at Tom Lane and you look at everybody else. To my knowledge, there's not a young man among them. There are some who are not yet old men, but there's not a young man among them. And so the corporations will end up yeah. taking it over in the long term. That's just what's going to happen. No, I, um, through someone I met at, at the scale conference, I, I do. Uh, remotely lecture to some young database folks who are coming up at a college in Arizona. And, you know, they're interested in databases, but um, I don't really see the, the, you know, the battle cry, hey, come, come work and make um, decimal uh, data types work better in this database. You know, the, 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 the human cry to go off and do that just isn't there. It's not sexy. Uh, where, you know, if you're in college, you know, hey, you know, these vector things are kind of interesting. Maybe I should write my own vector database rather than, you know, go off and get the, the right. regular nine to five job working, you know, at Postgres Inc. And, you know, develop a, a better way to run auto vacuum. Um, I mean, it's probably a great, great opportunity, but it just doesn't have that sex appeal. Yeah, it really doesn't. And, you know, I think there's a, a mindset shift, too, because a lot of the young people, there's a, why Why do I even need decimal? Yeah. Right? There's a fundamental disconnect between why things exist and two generations understanding that there's a reason they exist. Um, you can see it today in, if you can read, uh, and I've brought this up a couple times in the past, I was reading an article, it was an interview of a physics professor who spent the first couple of weeks of his physics class teaching his students what folders were, what compilers were, what files were, because everything's been so abstracted out on a consumer level that they're not being taught that anymore. Right. 
but all those things still exist. They're all files underneath on a file system, and that file system has technology behind it, and all those things have to be maintained. But you're right. There's not a whole lot that's sexy about inodes. <laughs> it just, it's just it's not. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. Well, well we're... I've uh, got a ahead. gentleman who works across the street from me who works for a major bio lab. And I know uh, from someone else running the exact same company, one of the problems they have is they have field studies out there where they're required by law to keep that data around for 100 years. Um, what media do we have now that's guaranteed the last 100 years? Well, uh, paper, um, maybe some sort of clay tablet. Um, Laminated paper, maybe. Yeah, um, you have things where you have people being born today who are entering the trials for their drugs and their procedures that they're doing, and they want to be able to study them long term. So 100 years, what do you do? Well, maybe what you do is you do a backup and you have free, you know, freeze the current hardware and software and you put it in a bank vault. And 30 years from now, when you need to fire it up, put it back together and hope someone still has the manuals on getting it running. Um, or do you just or the right power plug. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there's really no nice clean ways to do it other than thinking, well, maybe you just engrave it on stone tablets and keep it around forever. Well, I mean, that's where, I mean, what we're going to get is continuous storage, right? I mean, when I started in this industry, not when I, not when I was playing around with like Commodore Vic 20s in the fourth grade, but, um, you know, my first, my actual first computer that I conducted work on was a 486 SX20 with six meg of ram right and like a i don't know 20 meg hard drive or 40 meg hard drive or something like that yeah and when i when i first started selling linux boxes they were 486 dx266s with 16 meg of ram and a one gig SCSI drive one gig i have yeah. a usb-c ssd this big that's one terabyte all the basic technology, though, is still the same. I mean, we're still writing files pretty much the same way. We're still using some kind of journal. We still have the same similar crash recovery. Now we're starting to get different caching levels and things as things get more, you know, it, it's less likely that our, you know, our systems are going to just crash now. We've got c capacitors on our SSDs. Um but it is. It's going to be like every year you perform an audit and you have to migrate to the newest tech that is guaranteed for five years, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. I mean, that's the only, you know, or or it's you know a CSV that you load into a database or something, right? Because yeah. CSV has been around for ever, right? Ever since we've yeah. been doing this, it's been tabulated data, right? Yeah. But imagine right. your your database had been someplace, and the lawyers, the company lawyers, come to you and say. We need to be able to recreate the way the data was structured on August 25th of five years ago at two in the afternoon. Give me, give me a permutation of, of that. And um, it's, it's one of those things where we still don't have an easy way to do that for folks. No, that especially for those that, you know, aren't running Postgres. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dave, so as we wrap this up, is there anything that you'd like to bring up or swear about or ask or anything like that? Well, um, 
Uh, it's funny. I was talking a week and a half ago at the All Things Open conference, the differences between Postgres and MySQL. And we covered a lot of things in that talk that, that came today. And people say, well, which one do you prefer? I said, well, it's still kind of what's your application? What are you trying to do? Um, both uh, databases have very strong communities. Uh, but what's really interesting to me is being a lot around more of the Postgres community in the past year and a half, um, how vital it is, how encouraging it is, and how well it's growing. It's um, if, if you're not running Postgres and you're kind of wondering, well, it seems to have momentum and I'm kind of trepidatious about putting my toe in the water, don't. Um, uh, the, the folks in the Postgres community are very helpful. Uh, the user groups I've found universally are amazing uh, groups of people. And the only issue you might have is that when you start asking for help is eventually you have to tell them, stop, let me do it. <laughs> it's okay. I, I need to take the training wheels off. So. No, I totally get that. And I, I like to liken uh, Postgres as a tidal wave, right? Because tidal waves often start thousands of miles before they actually hit whatever they're going to hit. And you have this situation where momentum is just continuing to build up and build up and build up. And I think we're going to see multiple versions of that. But I think the biggest one, the one that made it viable for the mass consumer of database users, obviously not the mass consumer of Kardashian followers, um, was when Amazon recorded a video of them turning off their last Oracle instance because they had migrated to Postgres. I think that was in 2016 or 17, maybe even a little yeah. older than that. Um, and I think that was a real telling moment when you have an organization that is so big and so new, right? This isn't IBM. This is a, this is a baby company in terms of age uh, that yeah. took a leap of faith and it has paid off on such a demonstrable level for them. Well, the, the first time I heard of Amazon at a computer show was the MySQL user group uh, meeting around 2007 or so. And the people were talking that Amazon has elastic blocks. And I go, you mean like stress balls? No, no, no. You actually went this way from your computers. And I'm going, okay, I guess that could be a good thing. But we still forget. There's still a lot of our world run by COBOL on IBM mainframe. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, the, 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 they ain't going away anytime soon along with big Oracle databases. But I think Postgres has the momentum and the direction right. So knock on wood, we won't be running access in a couple of years. Oh, Lord, I hope not. All right. And with that, this has been more than a refresh, a podcast about data and the people who wrangle it. Our guest today was David Stokes of Percona, great company. If you want to do business, call Command Prompt instead. But... Uh, no, Pocono's great. We only do Postgres, so that's a little bit different between the two of us. And uh, hey, Dave, uh, we're going to see you guys at Postgres Conference in April, right? Um, I hope so. I've already submitted a talk. By the way, if you've never talked at a show but you want to, that's a great one for a first-timer. Uh, good audience. And uh, No, I go. agree. Please, yeah, the CFPO is open. That's postgresconf.org. And with yeah. that, we are out. Hey, Dave, thank you very much. No problem. Hope it goes well.